Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. A star can have tremendous influence over its planets, from collecting dust to the weather. So when we look at the stars in the sky, we forget that they are quite violently erupting solar flares and radiation particles. So what does that mean for finding life in other solar systems? What is the area around the sun like? Is it clean or is it full of all kinds of dust and rock? We find out from the Parker Space Program. One of the nearest groupings of stars that long fascinated astronomers and science fiction authors is the Centauri system, which is only around 4.2 light years away from Earth, in particular Proxima Centauri. And that's important because around Proxima Centauri, we have actually discovered two Earth-like rocky planets that are actually inside or close to the habitable zone, so-called area where water could exist in liquid form because that planet is a sufficient distance away from the sun to not be boiling and not far enough away so that it's frozen and locked in ice. Now, Proxima Centauri itself as a star is cool. It's a small red dwarf star, which means its habitable zone is actually a lot closer than what Earth's is. That's interesting because if you compare the location of Earth to our sun, it's a significant distance away. Now, if you were to put the equivalent system arrangement, Proxima Centauri and its habitable planet, well, that one is actually around the distance from Mercury to the Sun. So, very close in. Now, that's interesting because it means it's got a much stranger orbit, but it also means it has a much closer relationship to the star. Now, the relationship between a star and its planets is important. We know that the stars have weather. They change over their lifetimes, and even over the weeks and days. On Earth, we know that our sun actually has around 11 to 13 year cycle, over which we see changes in the amount of solar flares and stellar radiation. We're currently in a quiet period. Now, that cycle of more or less radiation or more or less solar flares leads to changes in space weather. Now, here on Earth, we have a strong magnetic field, but we can still feel the influences of our star. If you're much closer in, well, that influence is even stronger. And that's what researchers from the University of Sydney have been investigating and published in the journal, the Astrophysical Journal. Leader author on this paper is Andrew Zick, working under Professor Tara Murphy. And that team worked with a large collaborative team of researchers from several different institutions across the world including CSIRO, University of Western Australia, University of Wisconsin, University of Colorado, and Curtin University. So what Zick and others were looking at was actually trying to get a weather report for Proxima Centauri and understand what that weather of Proxima Centauri may mean for the planet around it. And this has huge implications for potentially finding life or just understanding the dynamics of these close orbiting bodies. How exactly do you get a weather report from a star light years away? You can't pull up your weather app or look at the rain radar forecast or satellite images. Instead, what they were trying to do was find another precursor, another thing they could tie to get an indication of what the weather is like. Now, what they were looking in particular was showing for the first time that there's actually a clear link between optical flares. Flares we can see, and because Proxima Centauri is so close, relatively speaking, we can actually see these flares. But they found clear definitive link between optical flares 
and radio bursts on a star, importantly, that's not the sun. Now, that's quite significant because we can do a lot of research on our own sun, but we don't really know how descriptive and how general that behavior we're seeing on the sun is because there's so many stars, like just trillions and trillions of stars in our universe that we could try and observe. And the sun is just but one of them. So any behavior we see on the sun may not be normal. But that's why researchers like Mr. Zeke have been trying to show and prove things that we can see on our sun, but also might be able to see on other stars. That's what they found in this case here for Proxima Centauri. Now, an optical flare, a flare you can see, right, or measure with some optical measurements, that can be combined with radio measurements. And what they've seen there is that flares produced can also produce radio bursts. And that's important because that means we can use radio telescopes to actually study space weather. We can use the radio signals to effectively get space weather reports. And that is really interesting. Now, what kind of events cause visible flares? Well, we call coronal mass ejections is the process by which a star emits a huge bunch of heat and ionized particles. This basically looks like a big chunk of the star is flaring out. Sometimes they form arcs and come back to the surface. Sometimes they go outwards. Depends on the nature of the flare. But regardless, they release huge amount of particles. Those particles then go out in a stream out from the star carried by the stellar wind or forms effectively the stellar wind. Now, that's great for us because we're far enough away on Earth that we don't really get bothered aside from beautiful aurora or other damage to our satellites and communication systems, but we're protected, as we said, by our powerful magnetic field. Again, Proxima Centauri is a red dwarf star. Any planet that's in the habitable zone will be a lot closer. And we need to understand how frequent these solar flares are. Because, well, if we see a lot of radio bursts from these M dwarf stars, since we now know that these are often highly correlated with coronal mass ejections, that means there's probably a lot of flares going on. If there's a lot of flares going on, well, that's bad news on the space weather front. Now, red dwarf stars are some of the most common in our galaxy. If you look at the stars like our sun, they make up only about 7% of the galaxy's stellar objects. Again, how descriptive the Milky Way is compared to other galaxies around us, we're not sure. But for the purposes of finding life, let's just think about just the Milky Way at the moment, right? Now, in Proxima Centauri type stars, these M-type red dwarfs, that's around 70% of stars in the Milky Way. So they're far, far more common. And what we can see from the studies of this paper is that they're also more likely to be producing these stellar flares and plasma ejections. Now, that's a problem. Because the habitable zone, as we talked about, of these red dwarf stars is so close. That means that most of these planets will be likely bombarded with regular solar flares and coronal mass ejections. Now, if you have a large and strong magnetic field on your planet, maybe you're okay. But maybe. Now, we haven't had any direct observations of magnetic fields around exoplanets yet. And actually trying to detect one will be very tricky because we're trying to find a magnetic field that will be largely influenced by the star as well, the magnetic field. For example, one of the ways we find exoplanets is look for the dimming of the light as a planet passes in front of the star from our observation point. But using the same technique, for example, with magnetic fields doesn't quite work because a star's magnetic field can often be so powerful and overwhelming. 
So trying to find out if a planet has a magnetic field is quite difficult. So we haven't done that yet. But maybe you could train a system to try and identify or find aurora like we can see around Earth. But we've also seen on planets like Jupiter. If we found an aurora on a planet, that would be a useful way of confirming that magnetic fields, strong magnetic fields exist. But even if a planet that's really tightly orbiting an M-dwarf star in that habitable zone had a magnetic field, since it's so close, that may not be enough to protect them from regular bombardment. Do we need to change the criteria for assessing a planet as being in a habitable zone? Because now we need to factor in other things like solar weather. If that planet is bombarded regularly with all kinds of particles or having an atmosphere that's getting strongly eroded by the presence of a large star very close in having lots of solar flares, they could have atmospheric erosion, having the atmosphere whipped away like we've seen on Mars or exposing the surface to intense x-rays or ultraviolet radiation. Now, that would cause a lot of problems for the development of life, makes developing life much, much harder. Now, that planet might have liquid water, possibly, but it may also have a lot of other things going on there, a bombardment of solar weather. So, not to kibosh the ability of life to thrive in such dangerous and difficult environments, but it's certainly going to be harder to start. Or at least, if it does start, it might be in a location that's difficult for us to detect. It could be inside the soil or underneath the water at a deep level, or in a way that's somehow more protected from this stellar activity. Life existing on these planets isn't impossible, but it's certainly now possibly harder to find. So it shows just how difficult it is to actually make an assessment of habitability. There are so many other factors that could be at play, and there's some really interesting research from the University of Sydney, published in the Astrophysical Journal, lead author Andrew Zick, and under the guidance of Professor Tara Murphy, about how life on another planet could be greatly impacted by stellar weather. talked about stellar weather can help us understand not only how planets form but how life may form and that's exactly what researchers from university of colorado boulder have been diving into they've been using data from nasa's parker solar probe it's a mission that can take scientists not literally but through the means of a spacecraft really really close to the sun orbiting circling the sun so far over two years six times getting to really fast speeds 290 miles per hour now, by doing these really close flybys and flying through the areas around the sun so frequently, they're actually getting a lot of information about the atmosphere of the sun. Now, okay, what do you mean by the atmosphere of the sun? Isn't the sun a miasma of incandescent plasma? Well, yes, but there's more to the story than that. Because like stellar weather, these flares and the stellar wind coming out of our sun, there's also a whole bunch of stuff just lying around, microscopic grains of dust that lie just beyond the superheated sun's atmosphere. That's what researchers like David Malaspina, who's a senior plasma physicist at the Laboratory for Atmospheric and Space Physics at the University of Colorado Boulder. Now, one of the things about these little bits of dust and rock floating around the sun, or just on the edge of the sun, is that it gives us an idea about what conditions may have existed in the early parts of our solar system's formation. Because the researchers didn't actually expect to see all these little bits of rock and ice 
And it didn't seem to expect to see them changing wildly over the span of months. Again, because this spacecraft is zipping around the sun, orbiting complete orbits six times in two years, they're actually seeing what's happening to all this dust and rock around it. As David Mousepin itself puts it, every time we go into a new orbit and we think we understand what we're seeing around the sun, nature goes and surprises us. Now, these results and the findings are presented at the American Geophysical Union virtual meeting in the fall. Now, the reason why they're so keen on understanding or not understanding what's happening with this dust, rock and ice is because it helps us understand the accretion formation not only of Earth, but also the neighbouring planets around 4.5 billion years ago. By studying how stars shift, move, process, clump dust, we can start to learn how planets form through this accumulation process. Not just here in our own solar system, but also on other solar systems scattered across the galaxy and universe. Now, the area around the Sun is a hot and radiation-rich environment, but there's a lot of dust there. And it contains more grains of dust by volume than most other expanses of the solar system. That makes sense when you think about it, though, because the Sun is huge and has huge gravitational fields. These gravitational wells sort of suck in millions and millions of miles away dust. So basically, the dust slowly but surely gets pulled and pulled and pulled into the system. But it's not a perfect vacuum cleaner because as the dust gets closer, well, because there's so much solar wind and radiation coming out of the sun, you're actually pushing the dust back out, slowly but surely. So it's sucking in particles of dust, but also gently pushing them away. And some of these grains of dust will actually begin to blow entirely in the other direction and may fly out of the solar system entirely. Now, using one of the instruments on the Parker Solar Probe, the Wild Field Imager, they were able to actually identify a dust-devoid region, this dust-free zone. This is the first time since 90 years ago it was first predicted that scientists have actually been able to identify one of these pockets where the solar wind and stellar radiation just cleans out the space. So despite sucking all this dust in, it actually also cleans out channels where because of the solar wind and the magnetic fields, it creates a pathway out of the re of the sun and actually can not only push out the particles, but create these empty zones. Now, how are they actually studying this microscopic dust? Well, despite all the instruments and images on the Parker probe itself, there's a pretty tricky way you can actually find the dust. Now, imagine you're sweeping your hand across a really dusty surface. You'll end up with a whole bunch of dust on your fingertips. Now, that's certainly what's happening to the Parker probe, but the Parker probe is going incredibly fast. So when this spacecraft collides with thousands of grains in dust, well, a lot of those particles actually just vaporize on the spot. And when they do that, they create a small burst of charged particles, a puff of plasma. Now that's amazing because the probe can actually pick up using five antenna on it as part of the field's experiment on that mission. They can actually analyze all these little puffs of radiation or of these particles hitting the probe and vaporizing and releasing all this energy, they can actually study the density and concentration of the dust, but also what makes up that dust. And by studying the nature of the dust as well, 
they can get an indication of whether that dust is heading in, getting sucked in towards the sun, or heading out, getting pushed out by the stellar wind. But what they saw is that even between the six orbits, there was huge swings in those regions. Sometimes they were pushing out, sometimes they were pushing in. A 50% variation between the six orbits. And that's amazing because, you know, normally we think of anything on the stellar process level of taking decades minimum, more likely hundreds, thousands, and millions of years. That's what you expect when we talk about a system that's existed for 4.6 billion years. We don't talk about things in the one to two year timescale, but that's what they're seeing here. They're hearing huge variance in the flow and the movement of particles over such a small timescale. So how do you get a huge variation in three or four months? That is a mystery. The scientists are trying to analyze and understand. And it shows that stellar weather is incredibly complicated and the formation of planets isn't as simple as we first thought because the pure gravitational process alone is getting shook around quite violently or quickly compared to the normal long timescale we associate with such processes. Now this is great because it gives us some real detailed understanding of what's happening with the sun, but also that we can extrapolate out to the formation of other planets and the nature of our own solar system. Some great research, University of Colorado at Boulder, published at the American Geophysical Union fall meeting. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. From stellar weather to finding out what's cleaning up all the dust in our solar system and life on other planets potentially being bombarded by stellar radiation. Our ending theme was composed by Audio Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.